0: In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So last Sunday in Matthew 25, we heard the parable of the ten bridesmaids, and we made a simple simple distinction between the foolish bridesmaids and the wise bridesmaids. The wise ones brought enough oil along with them because they wanted to be part of the celebration of the wedding feast, and the foolish bridesmaids were not interested in such a celebration. They wanted minimum involvement with the party that was going to happen. And we heard then that to prepare for the last day, we should be preparing by planning to celebrate with joy. We enjoy the many gifts of God today. We receive the good news of the gospel with joy, right? And we don't approach God's word with just ritual compliance, but rather we gladly hear it and learn it. To prepare for the last day is to come to the sacrament joyfully, knowing that you are receiving the forgiveness of sins, knowing how much you need God's grace and that he's giving it to you. Yes, what we hear from Christ is that the kingdom is all about celebration. And so the parable of the talents is going to develop on this theme as it follows right after the parable of the bridesmaids. And again, in this parable, there are really two distinct impressions of God that we get from the servants. The first two servants who are given five and two talents go and make a profit, and they see that their master is generous and trusting. So for a little context, a talent, which is a coin, a talent was about 20 years worth of daily wages. So a conservative estimate is that a talent was something like $400,000 in today's money. So five talents, which the slave received, would have been something like receiving $2 million, in our understanding of currency. It was significant money. And he gives money, the master gives money to his servants, and implicitly says, I want you to have this. I want you to enjoy it. I want you to do well with it. This is the kind of money that changes your life. And so they understand the master is not only fair, but he is extraordinarily generous. The master provides for them, and he entrusts to them what is his at great cost. The master does not give suspiciously. There's no evidence that he's testing them. He simply says, take what is mine and go do well with it. And so those slaves get to work. This is, of course, exactly how we are called to see God. In the small catechism, Luther teaches us that God richly and daily provides me with all that I need to support this body and life. He defends me against all danger. He guards and protects me from all evil. And all of this he does out of fatherly divine goodness and mercy without any merit or worthiness in me. God takes care of us. He takes care of us as a generous father. He generously provides for us, both our physical needs and our spiritual needs. It's even why in the Lord's Prayer, we're taught to pray daily for our bread, but also for the forgiveness of our sins. God has promised on all accounts to provide for us exactly what we need. And so God's generous provisions for our needs, both the physical and the spiritual, are not based on our worthiness. They're based on God's generosity. God is truly generous. He provides for all people, no matter how good or bad they are. And he desires to save all people and will save all who turn to him in faith. He is generous. He is so generous that he desires for sinful creatures like you and me to live in the fullness of his presence and glory forever. But as we see, there's another impression of God that we get in this parable. And the other impression of God comes from the servant who was given just one talent, and this slave, he sees the master as harsh and unforgiving. He thinks he must take the master's trust and hide it for fear that he might mess up and get punished. Right, this slave is handed $400,000 and he digs a hole in the ground and buries it. He buries it, as we will come to find out, because he believes the master to be harsh. He fears that if anything happens to that money, he'll be severely punished. Now, we could all point out the foolishness of burying $400,000 and thinking that that's a good idea. But that's not even the real problem here. The real problem is that this slave does not understand his master. Rather than understanding his master as generous, he practically sees him as a thief. He sees the master as the one who gathers where he does not sow. He doesn't believe that his master deals honestly. He doesn't trust his master. He doesn't trust his word. And so the servant lives his life in fear because he doesn't really know the heart of his master. Because the servant lives in fear, ultimately, he does no good. He does no good for the master. He does no good for himself. He does no good for anyone else because he's going through his life thinking of his master as simply harsh and unforgiving we can be tempted to see God like this as well. And there really are many people in this world who rather see God as harsh and vindictive rather than loving and generous. And the image here is only of the law-giving God, the law-giving God who is eager and ready to punish all who break his laws. Or maybe even worse, the image of a God who is distant and far off, never to return, who leaves us to figure out this wicked world on our own, and leaves us to our own wicked devices. And this is the wrong image of God because this is an image of God that leads only to self-preservation, right? If God is only out to punish me, then I must make sure I spend my life making sure that I don't do something to offend him. My moral behavior becomes the center of my religion as I learn only to fear God and not to trust and love him. And so with this image of God, spiritually, we cower knowing that we are sinners, but can't trust God to take care of our every need. And this leads to callousness in life, because it says, all that I have is mine. I must live in this life and pull myself up and take care of myself because there is no generous God to provide for me. This is the view that all that I have is the result of my own hard work, my own skill, my own talents. I don't need anybody and nobody needs me. And that is to bury your talent in the ground. But maybe even more concerning for us is that this is an image of God that leads to a refusal to repent of our sins and believe in the gospel. Because if we only want to believe that God is harsh, then we don't trust that God really wants to forgive us our sins. And so instead of repenting of our sins, we end up trying to rationalize them. We say things like, well, this is who I am, this is who I was made to be, this is just how our culture is today, this is just my sin, and I have to deal with it. And so people who have the image of only a harsh God learn to trust only themselves. They learn to trust the world, they learn that they have to make it on their own. And they never truly trust in a generous God, a God who wants to take your sins, a God who wants to heal you, a God who wants to redeem you. They only see the world through the harshness. But when we have the right view of God as a generous God, and as a God who wants to give us his many gifts, then our life begins to open up. Because knowing that God loves us, that he lovingly provides for us all that we need, it means we're free to go out into the world and to love our neighbors. We're free to take risk. We're free to be restored We're free to be healed. We're free because we're accepted by the Father who loves us. There's a well-known anecdote about Luther and his friend and co-reformer, Philip Melanchthon. Philip once wrote to Luther confessing that he was too afraid of falling into sin in his work. Here was someone, Philip Melanchthon, who was called to speak boldly and courageously to reform the church. And he confessed to Luther, He was afraid he was going to mess up, that he would bring himself under condemnation. And famously, Luther wrote back to Philip saying, sin boldly, sin boldly, yet love Christ even more boldly. Sin boldly is exactly what the slaves with the talents were to do. They were to trust that their master wanted to provide for them. This isn't just about taking great risk to change the world, to doing something remarkable, it isn't just about heroic deeds in the name of Christ, but it's about loving one another boldly and about trusting in God's generosity boldly. Right? When just simple things, when we have our children baptized, when we raise them in the faith, we're investing our talents into something that God has promised will grow in return. When we pray for our neighbors, when we give what we can to the poor, when we do honest and meaningful work for God's glory, we're like those who take their talents and multiply them. When we speak truthfully to the lies of our culture, then we, we're investing talents to something that will multiply for God's glory. When we're hopeful, when we trust that God does love us and care for us, then we're multiplying his graciousness. However, when we grumble, When we selfishly hoard things for ourselves, when we refuse to pray for others, we refuse to share blessings with others, then we're burying the gifts of God. That's not the way to live freely in this world. Instead, God wants us to know him as generous. And in turn, he wants us to freely share his generosity with others. And so the question is then, what do you do if you find yourself like the servant with one talent? What if you find, you look at your relationship with God, and you find that you're often sensing that you're under condemnation? What if you're afraid of God? What if you're afraid of being honest with God? What if you know there is some sin that you're holding on to, that you're afraid to repent of because you think there's only judgment for you? What do you do when you doubt God's generosity? Where do you turn if you find only a God who condemns you? Well, this is what we know. Turn to God's promises given to you in his word and sacrament. Find the generous God in the Christ crucified for you. Find the generous God on the cross. The God who has has borne your sins for you. The God who has promised to hear your prayers. Find God in his promises. This is where our generous God is found. And this is where we must turn every day. Turn to that generous God. Amen.